and we trust you. We trust you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, as the song says, give us clean hands and give us a pure heart. The only way that can be done, Lord, is through you. Because we're men of unclean lips, men of unclean works. And Lord, we need our Savior. And we thank you, Lord. Your word's very clear. Repent. And times of refreshing will come from your presence. And Lord, that's what we do here tonight. We need times of refreshing, especially in this world that drags us down every single day. But Lord, we have the hope of your promise that you're coming back someday and you're going to get us out of this place. And then we'll be home with you forever. What a joy that's going to be, Lord. This world's a beautiful world. You created it. And we love every minute of our life. But, Lord, it's nothing compared to what the kingdom that you have prepared for those who love you. So give us clean hands and a pure heart, Lord, to serve you wholeheartedly with all that we have, with all of our being, and the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Lord, you're the way maker. You're the promise keeper, Lord, and your promises are true, and amen. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you, everybody. Welcome again, everybody, those that just tuned in. You're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. Um, you can go to our website if you're just cruising the Internet and end up here. You can go to our website, Freedom Church, PB, stands for palmbeach.org, freedomchurchpb.org. You can find out all about us, where we're located, uh, what we believe in, who we are, you can um, you can even in, uh, donate online should you wish to. So um, we thank you uh, for tuning in. Tell, tell your friends. We're here every Thursday night at uh, 7.15, and we're here every Saturday morning online at 10 a.m. So grab her up your family and gather in your home. You can have a home fellowship with the family and listen to the Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. We'll be in Matthew chapter 9 on Sunday, and I think it's about the 5th or 6th uh, week in chapter 9, but there's like six miracles going on in chapter 9. There was six miracles in chapter 8, and I think there's one or two in chapter 10. Now, Matthew's driving home a point, and I'm going to show you that as we move on. Um, also, uh, let's see. Um, if you're um, a man and you're local, we have a men's Bible study right here, 2810 High Paluxo Road at 9 a.m. every Saturday morning. And we're only a quarter mile west of I-95 on High Paluxo Road on the north side of the road. So come on by. We have a great group of guy, guys. There was actually a, a missionary here last Saturday that just came on spur of the moment because he was, in, he was invited by a pastor of one of the larger churches in the area to come because he always comes here. You know, not only are we Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches, but we have the freedom to fellowship with people of other denominations because our common bond is Jesus Christ and him crucified, dead, buried, and risen. So we do uh, walk the same path. How can two walk together unless they agree? We do agree. We agree that Jesus Christ 
is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's nobody can go to heaven except through him. That's our common bond. And we believe Jesus is alive and well. So we might have our petty differences, but big deal. You know, what we're, we're brothers and we're sisters in Christ. And we thank, thank the Lord for that. He made the two one. And it's talking in, um, I think it's Ephesians or Galatians chapter 2, you know, that Jesus made the two one. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles one. But it, it can also be, you know, the Protestants and the Catholics and, and the Presbyterians and the, he and the Lutherans and the Methodists. You know, we're all one in Christ. God don't care about our petty differences. He cares whether you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, received that free gift of salvation through Christ. You know what? I was pondering today, before I put Jim up here, and I was pondering today, you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Well, the Bible is, is, means good news. Well, it's not good news if the wages of sin is death. The good news is that he, that he paid the price. You know, he wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's free. It's free. You don't have to do a thing. So, you know, that's the good news. You can get saved. You can end up in heaven just because you believe in Jesus Christ. But that's just not a heart, a head-felt uh, belief. It's a heart-felt belief. you got to remember that. So that's our common bond. So come on out, men, 9 a.m. Saturday morning. I don't know if the missionary from Africa will be here. Um, he talked, uh, I think he talked French more than, uh, than English, but he, you know, he has lose several languages. It was great to see a guy like that. Um, and it's great to see different denominations fellowshipping together. So um, let's see. I think that's about it for us here. Remember, 7.15 Thursday nights and 9, 10 a.m. On, on Sunday morning for the live stream. So listen, before we go on, um, I want to tell you, you know, Jim has notes that he passed out. There's three pages here. They're right behind Lewis back there on the chair. If you, anybody wants the notes, you can follow along. Um, it's always good. You know, you're using more of your senses when you, when you follow along than just hearing. You know, you're hearing, you're looking, you're seeing, and you're reading. So you're going to retain a lot more. You're going to retain a lot more. So Jim's going to be speaking today. You know, he's going to try to clarify some of your uh, beliefs, uh, maybe on, on the rapture, the second coming. And so, you know what, the verses that he got here is exactly the ones I used at the memorial on, on Saturday. It's unbelievable. So uh, we thank you for uh, tuning in. So Jim's a chaplain. He has his own ministry. Grace? Oh, okay. Yes. Um, we have another uh, person that was part of this church that passed away a few weeks ago. Um, Jamaican, beautiful lady. And anyway, she passed away. And um, on and one of our members is a neighbor of hers. And, and the family wanted us to pray tonight. So um, I know on had a card. I filled it out for Dorothy's uh, sister and daughter. And um, but uh, we know where Dorothy's is. She's a believer in Jesus Christ, and she's in heaven with the king. So let's pray real quick before Jim gets up here. Father, in Jesus' name, Dorothy's family needs your prayer, Lord. They lost a beautiful woman, Lord God. And we thank you 
for our lives crossing that path with Dorothy, Lord. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have never met each other. But because of you, Lord, we got to fellowship together and worship you and even pray together with Dorothy. So, Lord, we thank you. You are so great, and we honor your, your precious name, and we pray that your comfort be upon the family. Even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, help them to fear no evil, for you are with them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, I'm going to invite Jim up here. He's a chaplain. He has his own ministry. Um, you know, travel, he can tell you what it is, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Joe. It's Traveling Mercies RV Ministry. Uh, you can look it up on uh, Facebook under that name or on my uh, web page. I have uh, a uh, YouTube channel on that name. And I post some of the videos of uh, things that I think are interesting. Um, it's a work in progress. So it's a pleasure to be here today to uh, open the word with you. Um, I thank Father, in the name of Jesus, that we are here in your presence, and I ask you to give me the anointing to teach this and teach it right, and that eyes would be opened and ears would be ready to hear uh, for the word. So this all began uh, a month or so ago at the men's Bible study when one of the guys asked me, why do I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? And I felt that my answer to his question was not very well done because I really hadn't studied it in depth in the past. Uh, I had taught it in the past, but basically from notes that I got from Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, where I had heard it taught by uh, Bob Coy. And he had said that uh, he had studied the mid-tribulation and post-tribulation rapture ideas, and they just didn't work. And then he proceeded to teach on the pre-tribulation rapture as being the only version that actually worked according to the word. And I, I do agree with that. So um, rapture is one of those subjects that we like to study. It's controversial. It's got nothing to do with your salvation. Uh, whether you believe or don't believe in it, uh, we'll find out when it actually happens who's right. So um, I want to do a few things here in terms of... Uh, setting a foundation, turn to your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Uh, and while you're doing that, remember that when Jim teaches, you need your Bible, you need your pen and your notepad to uh, keep notes, because uh, I go fast, and uh, we don't have a way of posting this stuff on the Internet that I'm aware of. So the Old Testament Jews, in fact, prior to the Old Testament being written, uh, they had an understanding that there was a problem with sin. And so um, they understood, and this apparently came from oral traditions that were passed down uh, before there was a written language. Uh, there's no evidence that there was a written language, in, um, at least in the, in the areas of Israel, um, prior to uh, Moses. There were written languages, but they weren't very easily uh, written or, or read. Uh, Egyptian was hieroglyphics. So somehow they passed these, uh, in, in this information along uh, as traditions, oral traditions. And so they knew that uh, the spirit and soul was separated from the body at death, and the spirit and soul are eternal. 
Sheol was the place uh, of the unrighteous dead. In the Greek, it's uh, Hades. We call it hell. This is a place in the earth in the supernatural realm. Paradise, or Abraham's bosom in the uh, tradition of the, of the Hebrews, was the place of the righteous dead, a place in the earth also in the supernatural realm. Uh, you can see Luke 16, 19 through 23 and 26 for a little more on this, but basically that story describes uh, two people who died. One was a righteous person, and he went to uh, Abraham's bosom, that is uh, paradise, and the other one was a unrighteous person who went to Hades, and they could see each other across this great gulf, but it was not possible for them to cross the gulf. So although they were aware of the presence of the other person in the other place, uh, they could not come together. The grave is a place occupied by the bodies of the dead in the natural realm. The body decomposes and returns to the earth. God made us out of dirt, and we returned to dirt. They also knew that the body would be resurrected in the last day. That is talked about in the Old Testament in several places, including Job. Uh, the book of Job is regarded as one of the oldest books in the Bible. We don't know who wrote it or exactly when, but it does reference Rahab, so it had to have been written probably uh, later, later than Moses. So Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible called the uh, Torah, and um, those give us more detail on why there's a problem with sin, but they knew this. They understood it. They knew they needed a Savior. They knew they couldn't save themselves, and they believed that the Savior would come and save them. That's the fundamental tenet of, of all of these uh, religions, the Hebrew religion as well as Christianity. We have the same understandings, and we believe they are correct. So heaven, there are two places, heaven on earth in the natural realm called the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of God, where the throne room is located in the supernatural realm. So there's one way to get to hell, and that is to die in an unrighteous state. There isn't any other way to get there. That's what it's for. It's a holding tank for people who have not been uh, judged yet. The Jews knew that the judgment was coming. Scripture tells them that there's a time for judgment, but the time is not yet. God said, you know, we're all going to stand the judgment, but he's not judging anybody at this time. Now in the, new, in the New Testament time of grace, but earlier judgments were, were given as, as God would choose. So they felt that because you could not be sent to heaven or, or hell or to anywhere until you'd been judged, we have that same concept today is that a convicted criminal is one who has been judged and found guilty. So without the judgment, you can't decide if you're guilty or not. That concept passed down through the Roman laws to British law, and our, our common laws here in the United States are based on, on British common law, same concept. So uh, these two places, uh, some people don't understand that we have eternal life. The question is, where will you spend it? And so... When Jesus talked about having eternal life, he's talking about eternal life with him rather than in hell. So um, you choose based on a simple choice. God says, I set before you life and death. Pick one, choose wisely. 
and some people for some reason pick death as, as a preference to picking life. I don't understand that. So in 1 Thessalonians, this is the essence of the understanding of the rapture. It says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And the Bible, sleep means death. But the dead can be awakened, so they regard them as, as asleep. For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So it's important to see here that exactly what is happening here is that Jesus is descending from heaven to recover his righteous believers. This is not the second coming. He does not come to earth. You may recall when Jesus left the earth to go to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, he left from the Mount of Olives, shot up into the air like a rocket, and uh, the angel said that he will return in like fashion. He will come back down like a shot out of a cannon and land on feet first on the Mount of Olives. So that is the second coming. So it's common or often people confuse scriptures that deal with the second coming with the rapture. And they are inextricably intertwined. There's hard to separate the resurrection from the rapture. They're two separate events that occur at the same time. And then there are other resurrections that occur because you have all these people in different states. You have the Old Testament uh, righteous who were taken to uh, paradise. You have the unrighteous sitting in, in Sheol or Hades. And then you have the people from the New Testament who died in a righteous state and were immediately taken up to heaven to be with Jesus. Because the scripture tells us that to be uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it doesn't say you're in heaven. It says you're with the Lord. Wherever the Lord goes, you're with him. And so um, when the Jesus returns to earth, he brings those people with him. Those are his righteous saints that return with him in Revelation 19. So we have a lot of people who are studying nowadays uh, end times prophecy. There's a lot of prophetic work in the Old Testament. But those prophecies are all about Jews, the Israel, and the enemies of the Jewish people. There will be various and sundry judgments that are given, but they're all about Israel and the Jews. It has nothing to do with Gentiles. So I want to emphasize this because it's so frequently misunderstood. One of the things about the rapture is the skeptics will say, well, there is no such word in the, in the Bible. Uh, that's true, but the word that is translated rapture is in the Bible. I did a little word study, and I put down here in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, it says caught up, which is Strong's number 726, harpazo in, in the Greek. And so there are 13 occurrences in the authorized version, which is translated as catch up, take by force, catch away, pluck, catch, uh, to seize, carry off by force. So the, the concept of the rapture is that you are basically snatched out of your socks, just all of a sudden picked up. 
And um, in Genesis 5.22, Enoch was taken, which is the word lakad. There's 121 occurrences where it's translated as take, catch, uh, at all, hold and stick together. So the meanings are a little different than harpazo, but the same idea is there that Enoch was taken by God is the exactly what it says. And so um, Enoch is an interesting guy. He was um, Methuselah's father, and uh, we don't know too much about him because it just says he was a very righteous man who walked with God, and all of a sudden he disappeared. But then he is mentioned later in the New Testament, which verifies that... Uh, He's a, he's a real guy that, that existed. Jesus, you know, would not allow the New Testament to basically reflect anything that is not correct. So, um, in Second um, Kings 2.11, Elijah went up at Strong's 59.27. Uh, it's called Allah. There's 889 occurrence, which is translated as come, come up. And um, in essence, what, what happened was it says uh, Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. But what's interesting to me is that just before this happened, his protege Elisha knew it. And the prophets came to Elisha and they said, Elisha, your master is going to be taken up into heaven tomorrow. What are you going to do? In other words, the prophets were aware that this was going to happen. And Elisha, who knew this, said, uh, don't worry about it. Uh, he had already taken into consideration that was going to happen, and he asked Elijah for the anointing of his mantle. He asked for a double portion, and Elijah said, oh, that's a hard thing, but uh, that is what Elisha got, because if you count up the number of miracles, he had exactly twice as many miracles recorded as Elijah. Elisha was a very powerful guy, he raised people from the dead, and did other miraculous things. Less, less of, of a prophet and more of a miracle worker than Elijah, who was, was very prophetic and wrote some really, really amazing prophecies. So surrounding this whole thing of the uh, end times and the, and the prophetic works is Daniel. And most churches have taught, taught the uh, book of Daniel. It's a long teaching that takes many weeks because there's so much in it interesting story about Daniel and um, he um, gave prophecies that have been fulfilled that were so accurate it's it's absolutely amazing they were accurate to the day the names of the people written what 700 years before they were even born uh, he described these people who would be involved in these prophecies and they were completed exactly as he said so we can assume that the prophecies of Daniel that have not been completed will be completed also very accurately okay um, in 2nd Corinthians 12 2 Paul was caught up also the same word strong 726 harpazo and um, Paul I believe when Paul was stoned he was definitely dead when they stoned somebody they use big stones and aim for the head and the scripture describes him as being messed up pretty bad and then it says the uh, believers had circled around him and raised him up. In other words, he was raised from the dead. So during that period when he was actually dead, that's 
most likely when he was taken up into heaven. He says, I was taken up into the third heaven and I saw miraculous things that I can't speak about. So he's one of the people who was taken up into heaven but then returned to earth. And there's a lot of anecdotal testimonies of people who have had that happen. They, they describe pretty much the same occurrence saying, you know, I died and I could see my body lying there dead and then all, all of a sudden I'm in heaven. And then God spoke to them and sent them back to earth with a message or something. And I, I've got some testimony tapes and things of people who've talked about that. Um, it's hard to discount when you have so many people who have the same story who are not connected to each other in any way. So these examples of people being taken or caught up are a picture of what is popularly called the rapture from the Latin. Uh, the Latin translation of the Bible used the word uh, raptus or raptura. Uh, which means to seize. So again, the concept of grabbing somebody and just snatching them out of their socks, that does mean that you will be raptured bare naked. Your clothes will be left behind. So um, notice that in the case of Elijah, the prophets knew in advance. So what I believe is we're going to know in advance. People who operate in a prophetic gift are going to say, tomorrow's the day, get ready. Um, it would be pretty foolish to be driving a truck, flying an airplane, or something of that nature if you knew that tomorrow you're going to be taken up into heaven. I don't think that's what you'd be doing. You'd probably have some business you'd want to attend to, like talking to some of your relatives who are not saved. So the Left Behind movie where it shows you know planes crashing and trucks crashing and things like that when the driver was snatched up into heaven, uh, I don't think that's going to be the the picture that the left behind people are going to see. But these people who are not believers at the time of the rapture are going to be left trapped on earth. They can't get off of earth once the rapture happens. They're stuck here. And those are the people that uh, are called the tribulation saints. The prophecies and, and most churches and theologians have no quarrel with the concept of a time of tribulation. The tribulation came about in a kind of a strange way. Well, let me talk a, a little bit about what I've got in the notes here or I'll forget to come back to it. Um, these events are all closely intertwined. You've got the rapture, you've got the resurrection, and you've got what we call the wedding supper of the Lamb, which is the believers joining together with Christ who is the uh, husband of his bride, the bride of Christ, that is the assembly of believers. Um, the word in the Bible translated as church is ecclesia, Greek word that means the called out assembly. So we have to remember and remind people that the church is not the building, it's the people who worship in it. It's a place of worship, uh, the building, and is, that is not the church. The church is the people in it. So um, this rapture is the people heading to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Man is a three-part being usually described as body, soul, and spirit made in the image of God who is a three-part uh, being usually described as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So this is an exact analogy of our three-part being. Uh, God has provided for salvation of all three parts. Salvation of the spirit is called redemption. What we normally call salvation should properly be called redemption. 
Jesus paid the price to redeem us. It's a one-time thing that can't be reversed. Salvation of the soul is called sanctification. This is a process of making us righteous and to be more like Jesus. So the process is never completed. You can get more and more righteous, more and more holy, and more and more like Jesus, but never become exactly like Jesus because then you'd be God. And I can guarantee you that I'm not God. I'm not e even close. So salvation of the body is called resurrection. And this is what we want to talk about. Resurrection is different from being raised from the dead. People who are raised from the dead were raised in a corruptible body. Resurrection is performed into a glorified body, incorruptible and eternal. So the people who were actually raised from the dead died a physical death later. They may have been righteous or they may have been unrighteous. But in the case of Lazarus, they tried to kill him. And um, the Lazarus that's described in the parable of the rich man and the poor man, uh, the name of the poor man is Lazarus, but we don't believe that's the same Lazarus. Could be, but I don't think so. So this interest in the study of end times is called eschatology. And uh, we are in the pre-tribulation time frame prophesied by Daniel. He talked about 70 weeks, each week representing seven years. So he talks about a week of years. In other words, seven years he called a week of years. And um, a lot of times the Bible prophecies are written in code. And without an explanation, it's sometimes not easy to figure out what it's talking about. And where it's important, it explains it. So the God clock was stopped at the end of the 69th week of his uh, 70 weeks. And this is because, in, in my paraphrase, is God says to Daniel, look guys, I've had it up to here with you. You guys are disobedient and rebellious. And I'll give you time to close down the books and shut down prophecy, and then I'm out of here. And there's 400 years of silence. God was just totally perturbed with the Jewish people who repeatedly would not uh, obey his law and they went into bondage uh, he would judge them he would warn them he warned them repeatedly he says if you don't repent I will bring judgment on you well he's very patient God is long-suffering it says but finally he gets to the end of his patience brings judgment on the people and puts them into bondage that happened three times so you've got the first time where they were put into bondage in Egypt got out of Egypt, get into the promised land, takes far longer than it should have because of their rebelliousness and disobedience. Most of them died in the wilderness, and so only their children actually got into the promised land. And so then the second time they were sent into Babylon, and um, they were allowed to return from Babylon to, to uh, Jerusalem, rebuilt the city, rebuilt the, the um, temple, and still were disobedient and finally he uses the Romans to bring judgment onto the city, destroys the city, destroys the temple in 70 AD. So that was the third time that God basically lost patience with the Jews and brought total destruction on, on Jerusalem and Israel and all the people fled and dispersed throughout the world. So now we have Jews living everywhere on the face of the earth. Many of them have returned to Israel, it's called Aliyah, when they returned to the homeland in Israel since 1948. We have almost as many Jews in the United States as, as live in Israel, and they were everywhere else in the world. You find them in 
even unlikely places like in the Amazon jungle. But uh, today we're, we're seeing the issue with Ukraine and there are thousands of Ukrainian Jews who have fled from uh, Ukraine. There's about 150,000 who fled into Poland, another 120,000 waiting for papers to cross the border, and more in hiding. So it's not going well at all. And uh, this has been the picture over and over and over again for the Jewish people. They, they try to destroy them, and there's always a remnant that survives. And that's what the prophecy says will happen in this uh, final so in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus' followers asked him three questions. He says, "When will these things happen? When will be the sign? What what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age?" Now, when they talk about end of the age, he's not talking about the end of the world. There is not going to be a total destruction of the earth. It gets messed up pretty bad, but then it gets renewed. And so God does not want to restore, destroy the earth. He wants to basically bring judgment on, on the, all these bad people and uh, then restore the earth and restore the, the population of the earth with righteous people. We call that Jesus' millennial reign. So realize that J Jesus is a Jewish rabbi who was sent to the lost sheep of Israel who were under the law. Jesus practiced the law. He did all the feasts and festivals running back and forth between his home in Capernaum and, and down to, to uh, Jerusalem for the feasts and festivals. And the only thing we have in the Bible that talks about that is when Jesus was 12 years old. And then later with his disciples, they would say, Let, we, we need to go down or up to Jerusalem uh, because there was some kind of a feast. So he practiced the law. And... Um, until the cross, we're still in the Old Testament, what is called the age or epoch, or some call it the dispensation. A dispensation is a period of time when God is dealing with his people in a specific way. And then there's a sudden event that causes a change. So the, the first dispensation was called the Age of Innocence, uh, Adam and Eve on, in, the, in the garden. And the fall caused a new dispensation where he had to treat them differently. After the flood, we have a new dispensation and so on and so forth. So now we're in the dispensation of the age of the church or, or the age of grace. And uh, what he's talking about is the end of that age starting a new age. And it's not a good age. It's an age of judgment. So um, these questions were answered. Uh says, um, if I can find, find my notes here. Question 1 is answered in Luke 21.20. Question 2 is answered in Matthew 24.27, 50 51. And question 3 is answered in Matthew 24.9 through 26. So he, he basically describes what's going to happen in these end times. And that was the essence of the teaching I gave a while ago called the signs of the times. He says, you, you people just don't recognize the signs of the times. Uh, you're, you're not seeing what's happening and in, in understanding what that should mean to you. He says, you can look at the sky and tell what the weather's going to be tomorrow. He's talking to a bunch of fishermen, and they could do that quite well, but they couldn't figure out what was going to happen uh, you know, spiritually uh, 
with the prophecies. They, they, they couldn't decode the prophecies. Why? Well, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who will reveal to us what we need to know if we ask him. He likes to give us wisdom. He likes to give us insight. And so when you're reading the Bible and you come to a passage where you're not clear on what it means, you ask the Holy Spirit, and he will clarify it for you. He brings truth. And people don't do that. They're studying the Bible, and they forget to ask the Holy Spirit to give them that insight. So most of the parables of Jesus have a interpretation that is um, just literal. It, it's true and correct. But there's also a spiritual interpretation that unbelievers don't get at all. But we should get that, that spiritual interpretation. So we're now in that, uh, what we call the 70th week. And that is the week before God finally comes and brings, brings judgment. So the reason for the seven years is that he had stopped the God clock short of the final seven years of the dispensation of the Jews. There's seven years left that hasn't been fulfilled. And that's what the seven years of tribulation is all about. It's to bring judgment on the Jews. And um, there's considerable description in the Old Testament about the kinds of, of judgments that will come on uh, nations, on people, and on various elements, people who, who came against the Jews in the past. But in the present age, it's described in considerable detail in the book of Revelation. Churches have taught through the book of Revelation. It's a, a book with a lot of information in it that would take weeks and weeks and weeks to study. So um, one thing about the book of Revelation is it's in chronological order. It says this, and then it'll say, and then, and then that. And so you have to follow the book of Revelation as a fairly accurate timeline, except it's written in three parts, and that is the world that once was, the world that now is, and the world that will be. So you have to discern when it's talking about something, is that the world that once was, the world that now is, or the world that will be, and then realize that history repeats itself. Some of the things in the Bible that were the, the world that once was are going to repeat themselves in the end times. And so the study of the book of Revelation can put your brain in a cramp trying to figure out what it's all about. And it really doesn't. It's um, Satan likes to cause trouble, you know. He gives us trouble. Likes to get in the way of what you're trying to do if it's important. So, um, when, the, uh, when the church age ends, the God clock restarts at the beginning of the last seven years of the Jewish age. 
In Luke 21, 24, it says the times of the Gentiles must be fulfilled. So there is no way that we can not fulfill the age of the Gentile. Everything that has been prophesied has to come to pass exactly as it was prophesied. So remember that Jesus in Matthew 24 is telling the Jews what will happen to them, not what will happen to the Gentiles. It has nothing to do with the Gentiles. So Jesus was never sent to earth to have anything to do with the Gentiles. He was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And so um, people try to take a lot of the scripture that is Jesus talking about what's, what's relevant to Israel and the Jews, and it's not relevant to the Gentiles, except that we are grafted in as spiritual Jews. Scripture says that, but that makes us a member of the family. doesn't necessarily mean us we become a partaker of what Israel is going to experience, and that is the judgment. In other words, we have been already judged and found guilty by the blood of the Lamb, so we are not subject to the judgment that would come on the Jews. And that's the reason for the rapture is to take the believers off the face of the earth during this horrible time of, of judgment. And the judgments that are described in the book of Revelation are pretty awful. It describes close to 40% of the earth dying, all the animals die, all the grass dies, everything burns up. It's, it's really a mess. But there will be a remnant that escape. There's always a remnant that manages to, to survive somehow. And it, it promises that there will be a remnant that, that survives. But the rapture is about the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus comes to take his bride to the place he's prepared for her. That's John 14, 1 through 4, where he says, uh, My Father's house has many places. I have prepared a place for you. Well, what's that talking about? That's the Hebrew wedding tradition. So in the Hebrew wedding tradition, the groom must bring his proposed bride to his father for approval. That is, she must be saved. Uh, the father would not approve a bride for his son who was an unsaved person. If the father is satisfied, the groom returns her to her family. That is the church. The groom begins to prepare a place for his new bride. He's actually putting an addition onto the house, hammer and nail work, uh, which is still practiced by some, some Christian groups. The uh, Amish people, when, uh, when the son gets married, they just put an addition on the house and the whole family moves in with the parents and all the kids and grandkids all live together in the same house. They've been practicing that for, for decades. So um, it's not, not a strange thing that the, the Hebrew tradition is, is the same. So. Until the father of the, of the groom approves the place that he has prepared for the bride, he can't, he can't go get her. Under Hebrew law, um, this betrothal process, which we would call an engagement to be married, is considered marriage, but the marriage hasn't been consummated yet. The bride is still living with her father as a, as a virgin. So when the father is satisfied, he says, okay, son, you can go get her. And uh, he, he goes to steal the bride like a thief in the night. Uh, her parents may not be actually eager to give her up, particularly if she's uh, a good worker. But people are waiting and watching for the groom to come. So although he comes sneaking at night to get the bride, everybody is kind of watching because they want to see the event. 
And as he takes off to bring her to his uh, house that he has prepared, uh, they follow. And um, in the current wedding tradition, they actually practice this. Everybody wants to know that the marriage is consummated, so they throw the sheets out the window to prove that she was a virgin. You, you get the gist of that, I think. So um, there, there's a party that ensues then. Everybody, everybody parties, and this party goes on for seven days. You'll, you'll see sevens repeating in the Bible in a lot of different s of stories. Uh, seven is considered to be the number of perfection or the number of completion. And so they party for seven days. This, this is not just the, uh, you know, one afternoon that we have nowadays when a couple gets married. This thing goes on for days. So in the marriage feast parable, when a man comes who did not have a proper garment that is clothed with the blood of Christ, he was thrown out. In the ten virgins par uh, parable, these are ten righteous virgins. It describes five who had a good supply of oil, that is the Holy Spirit. And when the Bible talks about oil, it's referring to the to the Holy Spirit usually, and five who did not. Uh, they were not ready. And so when all the invited guests have arrived, the host closes the door and no one else will be admitted. This is still practiced today. The father has a invited guest list and he's checking the guest list off as people arrive. And when they're all there, they shut the door and lock it and nobody else comes in. But somebody who shows up who is not on an invited guest, um, they, they don't get let in either. So in the parable, the door had slammed shut. The five dumb virgins showed up with their oil that they'd purchased in town, and uh, they're not allowed in. So there's re these repeated warnings and these parables tell us, get ready, because you don't know when this is going to happen. The timeline in the Hebrew wedding tradition is about a year. So everybody is waiting, but it's, it's like, when is, when is this groom going to come for his bride? So the marriage supper will be held in heaven. That's told in Revelation 19, 7 through 9. And there's a multitude present. Well, who is this multitude? Well, they're all the people in heaven who died in a righteous state. You've got all the people who Jesus supposedly took out of paradise and took with him to heaven. Anybody who died in a righteous state now goes to heaven. And then you have the, the rapture. So in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, the Lord descends with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The believers rise to meet him in the air. This is a spiritual event that will be recognized only by believers. So people who are non-believers aren't supposed to be able to hear Jesus calling for his bride. He's trying to do it on the on the quiet. And of course, us as the bride of Christ are anxious to see him come and we we are listening for those sounds that are described, the shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet. Uh, those are real things that will happen, but they're spiritual. The return of Christ is often confused with the rapture. The return of Christ is prophesied many times, 37 times in the Old Testament as the great day of the Lord. His return is marked by great signs in the heavens and is unmistakable. 
So there's not going to be any question by anybody when Jesus returns. It's a big deal. Mark 13:24 uh, through 27. It's a physical event, but like the rapture, we are not told exactly when. When Jesus said you would not know the day or the hour, he did not say your season. Sometimes what the Bible does not say is significant. People take that to say, well, we just don't know when he's coming, but it doesn't say that you won't know the year or the season. Jesus returns with his saints. This is uh, described in Jude 14, a prophecy uh, that goes back to the Old Testament. Matthew 25:31, Revelation 19:14. Um, so there's this multitude of people who return with Jesus when he returns, and they are riding on white horses. Um, this is a spiritual event. These are not real horses because real horses don't fly. Uh, it's a, it's a, there's a spiritual interpretation going on there. It's a metaphor. So one thing I learned that was new to me that I hadn't heard before, I got out of uh, one of the street teachings by Perry Stone, is the feasts and festivals of the Lord contain a prophetic picture of key biblical events. Uh, go to Leviticus 23. It describes in detail exactly what each each uh, feast and festival how you how you arrive at it, um, and and this can't be changed. This this was set by God saying this is exactly how it is, and I'm not changing my mind about it. So it's important to uh, recognize that that uh, you can't just change change one of the festivals and say, well, I'm busy that weekend. Let's have a different one instead. doesn't work. So uh, the month, month begins at the first observation of the sliver of the moon. Uh, they're on the lunar calendar, so they don't know exactly when this is going to occur. They have somebody who's essentially an astronomer who's watching to see that first appearance of the, of the sliver of the moon. And so Passover is the first month, 14th day, which will be a full moon. That is the day that Jesus died, the sign of redemption and deliverance from sin. So each of the feasts and festivals has a, a picture of what's to happen in the future. And, and um, these things are not easy to discern, maybe. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread... That's the 15th day after on the first month. So in other words, it's the day right after Passover. Jesus is in the tomb, a sign of righteousness. Jesus took all the sin and sickness and all the bad stuff with him into the grave, which destroyed it. So when he is resurrected, he is resurrected in a new righteous body, leaving the sin behind in the earth. They eat unleavened bread, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for seven days, a sign of repentance from sin. In the Bible, leaven is considered a picture of sin. Uh, it, it spreads. You, you have to very carefully remove all leaven, or all of a sudden it starts, starts making more. And so they very carefully clean out all the cupboards and get every last speck of, of uh, yeast out of them and uh, eat unleavened bread. So then first fruits there are three harvests and the early harvest is uh, barley and as the first little sprigs of something come up 
start growing, you are to cut those off, make a bundle, and wave it before the earth, praying for a bountiful harvest. You don't have the whole harvest grown yet, but you're asking God to provide a bountiful harvest. That is first fruits. Anybody who calls first fruits the same thing as tithing doesn't know their Bible. So you reap the early harvest, wave the sheaf before the Lord on the day after the Sabbath, offer a male lamb one year old without defect. Jesus is our first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 24. So basically Jesus repealed first fruits as something that carries over into the New Testament. Uh, Verse 20, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first front, first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, in other words, died. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the, of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, after those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end. So that's defining when the end will come, which is r- right after. Uh, the first fruits. So it can't be before that. Then we have the, we- the, the Feast of Weeks. Count seven Sabbaths after the first fruits. So seven Sabbaths, that's seven weeks, that's 49 days. On the 50th day to the day after the seventh Sabbath, this is Pentecost. So on Pentecost, uh, the church is born. After the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus was adamant. He says, don't go any place until Pentecost. Stay in Jerusalem for, for Pentecost. And this is the reason. Jesus, after his resurrection, went to uh, Galilee, spent 40 days on the earth before he returned to heaven. I view Jesus' return to heaven as the ratification of the new covenant. That's the start of the church age. So up to that time, you're still in the Old Testament age. Trumpets is the seventh month, first day. Rest and blow trumpets. It's not trumpets that you will hear from heaven. It's trumpets that are blown on earth to celebrate. It says, present an offering by fire to the Lord. So while some people think trumpets is the return of Jesus, it wouldn't be because it's not trumpets from heaven that are blowing. It's trumpets on earth that are blowing. Atonement is a seven-month, tenth day, a day to express humility. Beginning on the ninth day, any person who does not humble himself will be cut off, that is, rendered judgment. So is this the return of, of Jesus? I don't think so. There's, there's judgment for people who don't repent, but not from Jesus. So then we have tabernacles, or all, it's also called the, the booths the 15th day of the seventh month you feast for seven days on the eighth day present an offering by fire to the lord on exactly the 15th day gather the crops of the land this is the harvest the in gathering celebrate the feast of the lord and jesus return so um there are three harvests the early rain brings the barley harvest then the later rain bring the wheat harvest that is a picture of the 144,000 going out to gather in the, the ripe harvest. So if you go to uh, Leviticus 23, it gives the rules for how you are to harvest your field. 
And so the first harvest, it says, leave the gleanings. Don't, don't take that stuff out. Leave it. And don't take out the four corners. So you leave, you leave some grain in the four corners. It says this is for the poor. So the poor can come and glean in your field. If you're a rich farmer, you leave something for the poor people. But it's a picture, again, of the end times. And there's a scripture where it talks about this. It talks about the, um, go the, the angels who go to the four corners of the earth. And that is the last harvest, is the angels go out to these four corners. They're going, the, the picture that the, the ancients had of the earth was that it was flat. And so they talk, it's like a, like a big table. Each corner, we would say east, west, north, south, um, they go out and they glean those corners. That's the, the final harvest. So you've got these people who are in different conditions and the parables are told, for example, the um, sheep and the goats. You, you, you harvest, but then you have to separate the sheep from the goats. This is the um, threshing floor. And Jesus threshes. He goes on the threshing floor and he th threshes and, uh, of course, it says the blood rises to the height of the, the bridles of the horses. And he's, he's wearing a um, garment dipped in blood. They said, you know, where, where did you get this bloody garment? And he says, I got it in the house of my friends, you know. He's, he's basically stomping on Jewish people, rendering judgment. It's, it's a pretty ugly picture. It's meant to be ugly. It's meant to scare people to death. So the three harvests... The final harvest is, is the fruit harvest, or grapes, and is, it is a, it is a, uh, judgment, a um, harvest for judgment. So we talk about the grapes of wrath. This is the wrath of God coming on these people who are in the four corners of the world. They're out there hiding, trying to escape, and they're not going to escape. He sends angels out to gather these people. So everybody's going to get judged. You, you can't escape the judgment. But we as believers go to what is called the uh, judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ will be done in heaven, and we will be found innocent by the blood of Jesus. And so the judgment is for reward. Like an um, athletic competition, the judges don't decide who to kill, they decide who, who gets the prize. Whereas there's another judgment called the great white throne judgment, which comes at the end of the thousand years, and this is the judgment of the unrighteous. And so all these people that are being gathered in are, are going to be judged. And they are the ones who will stand before God, who will judge them for whatever they've done, their deeds, whatever, anything that they have done that is unrighteous. And so um, they have no excuse. It, it's, they'll open the books, the book of deeds, the Lamb's book of life. If your name's not in the book of life, and in the book of deeds, there's bad stuff. You go into the lake of fire. So I call the great white throne judgment, throne, T-H-R-O-W-N. You get thrown into the lake of fire if you don't pass the judgment. And those people won't pass the judgment. They can't. But God is a just judge. He still says you, you can't be condemned until you've been judged. So they're, they're going to have the judgment even though we might know what's already written in the book. So the question of the 
the book of life is if you already know what's written in it, why would you open it? And the answer is maybe to write something in it. You know, is there a final chance to have your name written into the Lamb's Book of Life? Um, that's one interpretation that I'm not too sure about. But a lot of people hold it. They say, well, at the last moment, you can still make that decision to accept Jesus. Uh, I think it's too late at that point. So, you know, the patterns of the festivals, I think, is important. It speaks to the... Uh, interpretation where they say the theological constructs of a pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation rapture. There are people who adhere to these other ideas, but what you find if you study it in detail is that uh, it, it, it just doesn't work. Y you are either taking scripture out of context, you are attaching a spiritual interpretation to something that's just wrong, or you are violating the patterns of the festivals. You can't switch the order of the festivals. And so um, both both the mid-trib and post-trib, I think, just don't work. You know, if you, if you read the papers that people write to support that position, you say, eh, I'm not buying that. I, I just don't see how that can, can work because it, it violates the scriptures that support the pre-tribulation rapture, which I think are pretty clear. Got any questions from the locals here? Unfortunately, we don't have interactive with, with the Internet. No questions? Appreciate the opportunity to teach today. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Jim. Drink my water. Get thank to talking, you, and I don't even realize I'm thirsty. There's a lot in that study there, just so you know. Some of me out there may not agree with all of it, uh, but you know what? There's papers in the back. Jim has it well outlined. If you want them, you know, they're in the back there. Take them home, study them. There's a lot more to it than uh, what you see. You know, a lot of this stuff, different believers believe different stuff, but it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. It has to do with the coming times. So, you know, we're saved by grace through Jesus Christ, and, and that's it. Um, like I said, a lot of information here, and I haven't found anything wrong with what, what Jim said. He didn't say anything like, hey, I know when the Lord's coming back. Nobody knows. So, you know, but we do have a, a signs of the times, and it's close. As you look around the world, see the wars, rumors of war, the earthquakes are, are speeding up, hurricanes, you know, all that kind of stuff, it's it's beginning to happen. It's the last hour, so we're going to be ready. So thank you, Jim. And um, let's close in prayer, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you, Lord. And, Father, this is a deep study tonight. Could have took maybe three, four hours to really get it and hit home. But, Lord, tonight we pray that your Holy Spirit drives home what we need to know. When we need to glean, we know you're coming back. We're going to be caught up to meet you in the air. Those that believe and those that aren't, don't, will be left behind. And I pray, Lord God, that the ones that are going to be caught up will just so just get on their knees and thank you and praise you for what you have done for us and what you're going to do because someday we're going to be with you forever. For those that are going to be left behind, I pray, Lord God, that you give them discernment and wisdom 
to make the right choice. As I said this week, at least several times, statistics say that 100% of us will not make it out of this world alive, except for the rapture that, that might happen. Then those will be, those who were alive and remain will be caught to meet you up in the air. But Lord, we need you. Everybody needs to make room for their future, their eternal future. And Lord, give them courage and strength, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Tune in on Sunday, 10 a.m. God bless. Love you all.